0: Some of you know, you've heard me say that I don't know from one week to the other what I'm going to preach. I came across a term last week, or a word really. It's called discretionary. Everybody knows the word, you've heard it. We talk about discretionary income. I didn't know the word for a long time because I didn't have any of that discretionary income. That's income that you can choose to spend it how you want to. I didn't have that. Everything I had was spoken for. I didn't have a choice. I prayed for the next bill to be paid, and that's the way I lived. But God said, you need to go look that word up, and I did And discretionary means doing something at your discretion. In other words, you have a choice to do this or that or the other. And then the next word that he gave me was preaching. Discretionary preaching. I've never heard that term. Maybe a new one. I don't know but what it amounts to is a preacher preaching what he wants to preach. And I'm here to tell you, no preacher that does that is fit for the job. But I'm afraid today so many people do that. They get to choose what they want to preach. If you look at the Old Testament and study the prophets, God's word came from heaven down to the ordinary people in the Old Testament through prophets. And God had a strict rule for those prophets. He says, you people, my people, listen to them. If anything they say is not true, it's okay to kill them. They didn't come from me. Now that's how serious he was in the Old Testament about what people said about him and his business. Don't change one single word, he said. I know what he said. I've read what he said to every single prophet. And I'm scared to death to stand in front of you because I know that my punishment for misleading you is greater than anybody else's. So with that in mind, I'll tell you what he told me to say today. And he's, we've been, the things that he's been calling on me to say, tell you seems to me like it's all coming from people on this earth with a human body and a human brain. And like I said, I don't care what grandma told you about. He intended for you to use it. He said, yeah, I gave you a brain, but it's not very good. And you need to listen to me rather than listen to yourself. Besides that, your heart will lie to you. Your own heart will lie to you. So you can't pay any attention to that either. So what have we got? We got this right here. And what he says through the Holy Spirit speaking on the inside of you. That's what we've got. And we need to recognize that voice. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 16, we'll be there in a minute. But God says, I'll build my church. Did you understand that? Did you hear what I just said? You know why I said it that way? Because my Bible says God says it that way a lot. He speaks a lot of times in a still, small voice. And if you're not still and listening, you won't hear it. I scared some people this morning when I cut on my mic. That like got me. But there's other times the Bible says when He speaks like thunder, I will build my church. That's what He said. That's what I said in that still small voice. God says, I'll build my church. Do you know what he's talking about? He's not hiring contractors and buying a piece of ground like they're doing in Alabaster. They're building the biggest building up there i ever seen, they call a church. And it's just one of 31 satellite churches. They all get the same sermon every Sunday morning off screen. Same fellow gives all 31 churches the same message. He says, be still and know that I am God. That's what he said. Be still. And what Satan got the young folks doing, running wide open, everybody younger than me I see goes faster than I go. I'd probably fall down if I even tried to go that fast. But it's a way of keeping you busy to keep your mind off of heavenly things. Now you believe that if you want to. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still. <laughs> you know, it's one of the neatest things in the profession that I was in for 60 years training horses. You know one of the first things that you're told to do with a horse? One of the first things you're told to do when you start training a horse is to stop his feet. <laughs> stop His feet. I ask a lot of trainers over the years in my business, have you got this horse where you can stop his feet yet? What are you talking about? You know they say about children. We got a great grandchild we're looking after some. They say that first couple of years you try to get him to walk and talk and then the rest of his life you try to get him to sit down and shut up. This one can't say anything, or if he does, I don't know what language he's talking, but he sure can holler a lot. But in order to control children, you've got to have them sitting down in a place and staying there. And so many aren't trained that way anymore. And so many horses, you can't get them to woe. They don't know what the word means. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a lot of misinterpretations and false teachings in the Bible. It's not the Bible's fault. It's just the way the people read it. And I also say unto thee, he's talking to the disciples, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The Catholics got that all wrong. They misinterpreted. I had to look up to find out just how that went about. The first Bibles were written in Greek when they came out of Hebrew. The Old Testament was in Hebrew and Aramaic. The first Bible that was put together that wasn't Hebrew was 300 years before Christ and and the Greeks wrote it in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, Petra, P-E-T-R-A, is a big rock. And Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, is a little bitty stone. And the word that was used here was Petra. God said upon, Jesus said upon this rock, Jesus, I'll build my church, not Peter. Peter wasn't even saved at the time. And at that time, Peter, until the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, didn't have a lick of sense. We've seen that time and time again. But upon the rock of Jesus I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. Let me explain something to you. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about you. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. My God says, I will make the church out of you. And the only enemy we have is Satan, the demons, and the people in the world who do not believe in God through Jesus Christ. That's our enemies. And he says, I will build you into the church of Jesus Christ and your enemies will not be able to outdo me while I'm doing it. That sounds pretty determined, doesn't it? Well, Lord, you just don't know how weak I am. I'm just not a strong person. I'm just not very spiritual. And I don't know much about the Bible and all this. God's going to make Jesus out of you. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. It's going to happen. You know why? Because you chose to believe it. on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you heard it, you believed it. And there is a world that has been opened up to you that not many people have and you're special people because of it. In John chapter 3, we won't turn there, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, we know you're from God because of what you do. Now tell me, sir, What must I do to have eternal life? What he was asking was what must I do not to die? Something you may not know, you know there's nowhere in the Bible that it says we ever lose consciousness. Francis Schaeffer, one of the most brilliant Bible scholars that ever lived, said it's just like walking down the sidewalk. You know you walk across a crack. He said dying is just like taking a step across the crack. You don't go to sleep. You don't fall out. You don't lose your mental capacity. You're just taking another step and your next step is in heaven. I've got in my old Bible the fraction of a second it takes for the twinkling of an eye. And it's little bitty. <laughs> And that's how long it takes us to be with Jesus Christ. From the time our spirit leaves that body until it's within, right in front of Jesus is a fraction of a second. And that's what's going to happen to you and me. We're not going to die. All this that carries us around is going to wind up still here. We might burn it up and put it in a jar. We might put it in a box in the ground. It might go to the bottom of the ocean and the fish eat it. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, when Jesus comes back, you're going to be just like you are now. We're going to be able to recognize each other. The Bible says that. That's interesting. But Jesus told Nicodemus, in order to live eternally, You're going to have to be born again. And Nicodemus, smart man. He was a Pharisee, an enemy to God at the time. But he tried to argue with Jesus, how can I be born again? He was thinking about his human birth. And Jesus was talking about the new creation. He said, you become a new person. When you believe in me, you become a new person. And that new person is what I'm talking about being born again. Christians are born once. Or twice, I'm sorry. But they don't they don't ever die. That's pretty cool. That's what our Bible says. You know where God lives? He doesn't live down to church. He used to. In the tabernacle in the Old Testament, he lived back in the back room in the Holy of Holies behind the veil where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. As they moved that tent that was a church, a temple, he moved with it. Then when they built the temple in Jerusalem, they built a room in the back for him too, the Holy of Holies behind the veil where they kept the ark. But now I want to tell you something. This story about Jesus making a whip out of cords and running the money changers out of the temple, it's called the cleansing of the temple. That's what the Bible scholars write over. Jesus wasn't running the money changers out of the temple. God was saying, I'm through with the place. I'm not living in the holy of holies anymore. He had said in the Old Testament, I'm going to put myself in their hearts. My rules are going to be in your heart. That's where I'm going to be living is inside of you. Don't you know now that you're a temple of God? He says in Romans chapter 12. God lives in you. When Jesus was killed and the veil of the temple was rent, was torn from the top to the bottom, That's when God moved out and he hadn't been there since. Oh, you can find God down at the local church if you want to, but you carried him with you when you got there. He wasn't there before you got there. God goes everywhere you go. Why? Because he put a piece of himself inside of you when you became a Christian called the Holy Spirit. Jesus now is sitting in the body he had when he walked the streets down here in a throne at God's right hand in heaven right now talking constantly with the Holy Spirit that's in you and why not? They were all three part of God. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is in every Christian. I believe that's the reason he told Jesus, that Jesus said, Y'all will be able to do a lot more than I could. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in every single one of us that believe. And Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But there's something else you need to understand too. Satan can't either. Satan was created an angel. An angel can't be but one place at one time. Now he can disappear and reappear and go through walls and all that stuff, but he can't be but in one place at one time. And the devil can't either. but we know there's over 33 million of those demons in the world and they're around bugging us all the time. So it seems like sometimes he's all over the place. You remember how the old church in the temple used to have the chief priest with all the robes and all the crowns and all that kind of stuff? The new church doesn't have that nobility as hard as some of us folks try to make it that way. You got to remember something, folks. When God says, I will build my church, it's us. And you know what he used to build us? The absolutely cheapest thing on the whole earth, a handful of dust. And you know what? In order to really get along with God, well, we got to remember we're dust. That's all we are. And when we die, if we're not embalmed and put in a box, if we're back, thrown back in the ditch, we'll turn back to dust too. And every single writer in the New Testament, I've studied it, every one of them referred to them being dust. And we got to too, to know who we are. And it says in Psalms that God remembers we're dust too. He has mercy on us because he knows we're nothing but dust. And he's building the church, a replica of Jesus Christ, that we will be the bride of Christ, that God will be able to present to Jesus after he comes back. Turn to Acts chapter 2. What does the church look like? I've said before, the greatest man that ever lived in the world walked the streets of Jerusalem, was hung on a cross and killed, and three days later was resurrected and came back to life. And you turn that happening, that event, over to people, And in 2,000 years, they'll be dying eggs, toting them in baskets, and buying new clothes for Easter, and calling it Easter, which is a pagan holiday. That's how we take the stuff of heaven and handle it. We don't know any better. But in the second chapter of Acts, in verse 42... We're talking about here, let's say 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Those people that believed at Pentecost were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them, the church, about 3,000 souls. Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. They were born again, as Jesus said. Now look what it said next. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. What did the people of the early church, of Jesus' church, 30 years after he lived, what were they doing? Well, they were living off the apostles' doctrine. You know what that is? It's this gospel that's in our New Testament that the New Testament wasn't formed yet. They didn't even put these letters together that we call our New Testament until almost 200 years after Jesus was born. The only thing they had to go on was what the disciples said. They were with Jesus. They knew what he said. So what were the people in church about? They were about what Jesus said. That's what they studied. That's what they talked about, the apostles' doctrine. And fellowship. They enjoyed the company of each other because they were only people alike to each other. Nobody else in the world thought like they did. And in breaking of bread, they ate at church, and they prayed at church. They studied what Jesus said, and that's what we're doing with our Bibles now. They enjoyed each other. and Nobody can walk in here before we get order in the on church morning without understanding how God's people enjoy each other. And we do it back there over the tables too. I walk in back there sometime, and it's just a flurry of conversation of people loving each other. And they ate, which we do. And they prayed, which we do. We have got here what they call a simple church. Look down at verse 46. And they continued daily. With one accord in the temple, there are times when they met outside in the courtyard of the temple because they weren't Jews, so they wouldn't let them inside. And they weren't, and they were a lot of them weren't men, so they wouldn't let women in in the, in the temple either. So they all had to meet outside and breaking bread from house to house during the week. They went from house to house eating what everybody had fixed for them. And they did eat their food with gladness and simplicity. That's what that word single means with simplicity of heart. What did the people in the early church do? We've been trying to copy it right here. They studied the book, they enjoyed each other, they ate, and they prayed. Now, of course, you got to understand something. That was in the days before they had uh, flexibility training. And they had a gym in the basement. And they showed movies. And everybody came to church for recreation. They asked me to teach at another church one time. And they came to me before that it was time for me to teach and said, look, the people in this class that you're going to teach, they like a lot of geography and a lot of history. And I thought, why is that? Why don't they want to know about Jesus? And then God told me why they wanted history and geography. They weren't born again. They couldn't hear anything in the Bible. They couldn't get anything out of the Bible but history and geography, where it was and what happened around about the same time. That's pathetic that you can't get anything spiritual out of the Bible. Of course, everybody knows what thou shalt not steal mean. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know that. But they can't get much further than that. I have seen people in churches who were considered to be the best teachers in the whole community, Bible teachers in the whole community that you found out later that they weren't even born again. That's what a mess we got. No more nobility. The church is not like the temple. The church is not like the Pharisees with all the Pomp and circumstance and all that kind of stuff. It's about humility. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Sixth chapter of Proverbs says there are six things that God hates. Yea, there are seven that are abomination to Him. And the number one thing on the list is a proud look. That's what God hates most. Nowhere in that list, there's seven things in that list, nowhere. Is cussing or drinking or dancing or any of this other stuff that so many preachers spend their time with now. Gambling. God don't say anything about those things. Preachers do. how of contemporaries there's a lot of problems with the church that Jesus is trying to build and we're the problem folks have gotten in the habit of moving from one place to another and when they move first thing they do first Sunday they go to a church and they walk the aisle and they get membership in that church and the second thing I've been there I've been told to get them as busy as you can they're put to work and nobody even knows whether they're a Christian or not, really, until you spend time with people. You don't know whether they got the Holy Spirit in them or not. But they're working in the church, but the thing that they're doing in so many of the churches that make it so hard is they're voting, too. With a membership, you get a vote, and they do everything in a democratic way. They vote on everything. And you got the devil's folks voting about the Lord's business. Is there no wonder we're in such a mess? Because insurance salesmen go to church. Because they're told by the company if you'll go to church, you meet a lot of people that sell a lot of insurance. I was in a church one time where the preacher told me anybody I baptize, he was an evangelist too, he got to baptize a lot of people. He said, anybody I baptize, they sign a card being a member of our church. I said, but wait a minute. What if they don't want to be a member? What if they just visit in here? The Holy Spirit makes them believe and they they don't even live in town. He said, it don't make no difference. If I baptize, they're going to be a member of our church. Well, how do you know the baptizing takes? Sometimes it doesn't. I knew one fellow got baptized seven times. Seven times. So we got people who don't know the Lord taking care of the Lord's business. That's the reason we don't have membership in this church. If you come, you're as much a member as anybody else. I know of a church not too far away from here that God says he's building it, you've got to sign a contract to do everything the leadership says, whether you believe it or not. It's a thing of control. I figure that if you're born again, God put the Holy Spirit in you, the most powerful thing in the whole world, and if he can't control, he hide in the world, I expect it. That's just the way it is. Decide there's something else that we understand here that's peculiar to the church. Most of the real church work, people, is done out there. It's not done in here. People come to church to work. But this is not where the work is. The work's out there. You learn how to work out there. And the people you work with and the people you meet every day And the people you talk to hear you and they know something about you and they say, I want what he's got. I want what she's got. That's where the work is done. Not in the church, but out there. Since I've been called a preacher, I've learned a lot of things I didn't know before. And one of them is this thing, I'll just title it, Yesterday you got a problem with yesterday. Somebody said the other day, I've just been trying to be good and trying not to be bad. I used to be bad. Well, let me ask you something. What is good and what is bad? How do you define that? Some of you think cussing in public is bad. God doesn't say that. Some folks think, Drinking a beer in public is bad. God doesn't say that. So what is bad and what is good? That's the reason we got to have the Holy Spirit. God says, I don't want you doing that. But wait a minute, God, I found in your Bible where it says it's okay for me to do it. Uh-uh, I don't want you doing it. That's the reason every one of us, y'all, have got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He'll tell you what to do and what not to do. There's not a rule that if you do them, you're good because if you did, there would be people who would be doing the good rules so they get close enough to you so they could do the bad when you did business with them. That's just the way it is. That's hard stuff to hear, especially from a church pulpit, but that's the way it is. You know that. Uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before. That's tomorrow. Paul says, "I Forget those things that happened yesterday. Is something that happened yesterday bugging you? That's where I get my second most complaints is from people saying, I remember what I used to do and it just worries me. That they well, God's already forgotten it. The only reason you hasn't haven't is because you don't have the power to forget it. Forget it. You remember in the Lord's prayer, "Give us this day our daily bread?" You can't even pray for something to eat but for one day. That's today. What you were yesterday doesn't matter to me. Because you see, I was too. That shouldn't be a problem to any born-again believer. It's what you've done that you don't approve of because you let it hold you back. And that's no good. you got to be all you can be today. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34 says, Be not anxious for tomorrow, for today. Don't be anxious today for tomorrow. For tomorrow's troubles will be anxious for themselves. Sufficient unto the day is its own evil. You know what that means? Today there's enough bad going on for itself. You don't need to worry about yesterday and add its bad to it and worry about tomorrow and what may happen tomorrow that you're not going to like because you see God didn't build your shoulders strong enough to handle all that bad. Just today's. You can handle today's. Don't think about tomorrow. It's not, it, it doesn't even exist till 12 o'clock tonight. And quit thinking about yesterday. Think about today. What bad stuff have you done today? Well, I did that this morning. You know, it wasn't too bad, but you know, I got to a place where I don't do a lot of bad things, but I'll ask forgiveness for it because <laughs> I don't want it held against me. But people ask me, but brother, how do you do that? How do you not think about what you used to be? And how do you not think about what could happen tomorrow to me? And how do you think about just today? Well, number one, you ask forgiveness for yesterday. And God forgets about it the minute he hears it. You can try to remind God of something I did 20 years ago. And he said, no, I don't believe I remember that. And what about tomorrow? Give it to Jesus. What about today? Give it to Jesus. I'm a preacher. I don't have but one thing left in my life important to do, and that's to talk to you on Sunday morning. Last Monday morning I woke up, and I couldn't even read the notes I wrote the day before. My eyes wasn't working. I couldn't get enough magnifying glasses and eyeglasses to read what I had written last Sunday. What am I going to do, Lord? He said, don't worry about it, bud. I'll take care of it." I got a little bit better Tuesday. Everybody's asking me, are your eyes better today? Wednesday by Wednesday, I could almost read what I had written last Sunday. And as the week went on, my eyes got better and better and better. Why did that happen? I have no clue. I don't know. Yesterday's gone, that leaves today. And today is the only thing that's important. Here we honor God's plan. We honor the Holy Spirit. We try to do things like God tells us to do from his book to be obedient. But there's another thing that I hear that bothers me and apparently it bothers you. Somebody that you love is not acting like you want them to act and it's got you all torn up in a tide in a knot. It's always going to be that way. I've got kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. I've got kinfolks and I love them all and all of them don't act like I want them to. But I can't worry about it. i got other things to do. And that's what I'm telling you. That's the two complaints. What I was yesterday still bothers me. And the folks I love aren't acting like I want them to. We're going to talk more about that because Jesus was approached with stuff just like that too. And we'll see what he did with it. And what he said to the people who tried to get him to think that away. What could you do, think about this and keep it on your mind. What could you do to make today the best day of the whole week? Best day of the year. Why don't you do it? Think like this. Act like this. Do this. Take it slow. Be still. Know that God is God. And make it a good day. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that ever lived. Now think for a moment. John the Baptist had a nice house, didn't he? Yeah, he lived in the desert. Now when it says desert in the Bible, it's not talking about cactus and sand. It's talking about a place where there's no people. That's what they call the desert. John the Baptist lived in the desert where there were no people. Live lived by himself. So it was okay for him to dress in skins. He didn't have on purple robes like the priest had. It was okay because he lived out in the woods anyhow. And he ate bugs. You know the Bible says John the Baptist ate bugs. He ate grasshoppers. That's what he lived off of. They tell me still people over in that part of the country live off of grasshoppers. I don't know whether they get them boiled or fried or fricasseed or parboiled. I don't know how they fix them. But they eat grasshoppers. Now, I have never developed a taste for grasshoppers. But John the Baptist did, and he was the greatest prophet that ever lived, Jesus said. When the Pharisees all came out into the desert to hear about this man they heard preaching out there, Jesus asked them, What did y'all come out here to see? This is the guy you came to see. He's living in animal skins, and y'all got your fancy purple robes on. You live in nice big temples and houses, and he lives in the woods. And you eat sumptuously every day, the Bible term is, and he lives off grasshopper. So what can you do with the way you dress or where you live or what you eat that would upset Jesus. That's the greatest guy he said it ever lived. And believe you me something here, listen to this and I'm going to close out with this. We got this idea that Church makes you a good person. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If I asked them for a vote, probably everybody would have to raise their hand. Church makes you a good person? Well, I said a while ago, what's good? Let me tell you what church is supposed to do. Church is supposed to make you feel like a sinner. That's who you are. And you will be till you die. And it makes you feel the need for a Savior. That's Jesus Christ. That is the job of the church. To make you feel like what God calls you a sinner. That's what I am, a sinner. And I'm in need of a Savior. I couldn't make it through today if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that. I don't know about you. I wouldn't even want to try but I need Jesus every day. Every single day. I've gotten so addicted to him, I can't live without him anymore. I can't. I wouldn't want to try. Every day. God says, I will build my church. That's what he's talking about. Making you and me like that. To know who we are, to live one day at a time, to not get upset about business we don't have any control over the way somebody else acts. And just pray to God. And if we get a problem, turn it over to Jesus. You handle this. I got to preach next Sunday morning. If I can't see on Monday, do something between now and next Sunday morning. That's the only recourse I have. Be still and know that I am God and I will build my church, and my church is you. That's what we need to remember. And if you're not too busy, bring him with you on Sunday morning when you come. We need him here too. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. Thank you, Lord, for instruction that keeps us from being uptight and afraid and scared and anxious and nervous and fast all the time. I talked with a person last week It says, when I slow down, I get depressed. That's a bad fix. Lord, you know that. So make us learn to be still and know who God is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.